Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, and today we're going to be talking about UFC Vegas 64, Marina Rodriguez versus Amanda Lemos, and it's going down this Saturday night live at the Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. Two of the most aggressive, dynamic, and violent women's fighters, not just uh, in their respective division, but in the entire sport going head-to-head for a nice little clash in the main event, possible title implications on the line. And, you know, it's funny. There's a consistent theme that's been going on that I've been talking to you guys about. It's one thing to complain about, you know, another Holly Holm main event where, you know, we just feel like we're wasting our time. Oh, it's going to run around the, <laughs> the ring, throw shots at the air, make a bunch of sounds, waste our time like in the Ketlin Vieira fight. But I got to tell you what, you got to give the UFC matchmakers so much credit with what they've been doing lately. They're putting the most badass chicks in these main event spotlights, whether it's Yan Zhao Nan or Kenzie Dern. That was a great fight. Araujo versus Grasso. I like that fight as well. And now, most recently, we got Rodriguez versus Lemos. I mean, ever since the start that Rodriguez has come to the UFC, Marina's out here putting up numbers on the feet. On Contender Series, she made a girl quit to strike standing. Her ground game has been improving. So I just love everything about Marina Rodriguez because, like, there's the stereotype about the women's fights where, oh, it's just another uh, head and arm throw. It's just another arm bar from guard. And, like, that, those are not the kind of things that, you know, women like Marina Rodriguez and Amanda Lemos do. These ladies are violent. These ladies come to fight, and these ladies come to put on a show. And I think that's exactly what they're going to do Saturday night live at the Apex. And when you talk about someone like Amanda Lemos, I mean, again, like we don't often see chicks with that one-hitter quitter, and she's got that one-hitter quitter. She can launch you. She can dangle off your neck. She's almost like the women's version of Davison Figueredo. So I love – I just love everything about this main event. So – we're going to get down to business. As you all see, I'm using my backup cam. For some reason, my main cam uh, didn't want to work on me, but it's all good. The, mo- the show must go on. So going to break down the whole car, starting from the main event all the way to the first prelim. So everybody, do me that huge favor. Smash the like button. Hit the subscribe button. And uh, let's get down to business, y'all. So main event of the evening in the Starlight Division. We got a five-round attraction between... Marina Rodriguez, she's 16-1-2. Interesting, two draws. We're going to talk about why. Taking on Amanda Lemos, who was 12-2-1. and and one. We're going to have some uh, Brazil on Brazil crime here. And currently, they got it. Marina Rodriguez, minus 210. The comeback on Amanda Lemos is plus 180. And something interesting to note is that it opened around minus 160 for marina rodriguez with the comeback on lane motion uh, at plus 130 so needless to say most of the action has come in on rodriguez and i understand why i mean she's been very very impressive but i think that you can't sit here and you know take anything away from Lemos, who brings you know something very unique to the table so what i love about this matchup is when you're talking about someone like marina rodriguez just the variety uh, of her strikes whether you know, she's mixing, you know, she's obviously fights behind her jab. And then when she starts to feel more comfortable, she starts to open up on her combinations, mixes it up to the body, the spins, the elbows, the knees from the tie clinch. 
And the biggest criticism for Marina Rodriguez has always been, you know, it's it's easy to say the ground game, but I think that that's such a broad and almost misleading way to categorize her weakness because the ground game is not the issue. The ground game was the issue in that round she had with Mackenzie Dern when Mackenzie Dern was on top of her the entire time. Marina Rodriguez would have been submitted right away. So the the ground is not the issue. The issue is the get-up game. The issue is the willingness to play in the guard and not have that urgency to get back up to your feet. That's the issue. And when we're talking about someone like Amanda Lemos, you know how I mentioned how Marina Rodriguez likes to ease into these fights. Well, Amanda Lemos is kind of the opposite. Amanda Lemos comes out firing out the gate. Big power, which, you know, these young ladies are not often used to, let alone in the strawweight division. And we've seen Marina Rodriguez get tagged up multiple times in, in fights that she's won. Even, like, for example, the Jessica Aguilar fight. Jessica Aguilar, not really known for much of a punching threat, was, you know, able to kind of close the eye uh, of Marina Rodriguez. So I'm very curious to see what some Amanda Lamar punches can do to her. So I love everything about this fight. I think that the early going, just the sole fact that Marina Rodriguez kind of has to find her timing, has to kind of find her range, her distance. And the sole fact that Amanda Lemos is just, you know, she, she shot out of a rocket, shot out of a cannon, man. I mean, she's going to go balls to the wall, uh, figuratively speaking, right? <laughs> um, she's going to come right after Marina Rodriguez, and I think she is going to tag up Marina Rodriguez. It's just we've seen a lot of resilience from Marina. We've seen Marina can take it and give it to. And the issues that I've had with Lemos, there has been, you know, talk about, her gas tank but to her credit she's never lost a decision in the ufc you know she has been out here you know winning the majority of the fights that that go to all the fights that have gone the distance the times that she's had trouble she's actually been submitted there isn't much of a submission threat from marina hadri it's not saying that that can't change she's got some very long limber limbs where you know you sneak in a nice little anaconda a nice little dars a nice little guillotine and she's been working on that part of her game Maybe she could tap out Lemos here. But really, I, I kind of see it being a tale of what kind of damage is Lemos going to get off early, whether it's the straight punches, whether it's those stabbing front kicks, whether it's the calf kicks. And, and not to mention, um, is she able to accrue you know, some top control with takedowns? Because the biggest issue with Marina Rodriguez is that when she is taken down, she often doesn't get back up. I mean, you look at the fights that were draws that she had, starting with Randa Marcos and then the Cynthia Calvillo fight and even the Esparza fight, which was a split decision. It's like on the feet, Marina is winning every single exchange. It's just that when she gets taken down, not only does she not get back up, but she she takes a lot of damage on the ground, and she's super tough. She's not going to quit. She's not going to give up. It's just we're talking about a five-round fight here. What kind of rounds can Lemos bank with top control and with possibly landing harder shots? But here's the thing. When this fight gets to the late second round, when this fight starts hitting the third, the fourth, fifth, that's where I think the big volume difference for, Marie, for Marina Rodriguez can start to take over. And that's where she's going to kind of be in her comfort zone. Once she's kind of figured out your timing, she's figured out her distance, her range, and she kind of knows what to expect because there's not much variety from Lemos, but what Lemos does do, she's very good at. I mean, you guys are in the deal. A couple calf cases, all it takes to really immobilize an opponent. 
you know, one big punch from Lamos. I mean, you see the impact. You see the, the way these girls look when they get hit by her. They're like, it's like in, in uh, Rush Hour when um, my boy uh, Chris Tucker got, got kicked in the face. And he's like, which one of y'all hit me with that? You know what I mean? And I feel like Lamos's opponents have that same reaction when they get hit by her. You know, it's like, which one of y'all hit me with that? So I'm curious to see how Marina reacts to these shots. But. I do have to say, should Marina not get finished in the early going? And if Lamos can't get extended top control, you know, in the later rounds, I do kind of see that third, fourth, and fifth round where Marina really starts to put it together up that volume. And that's where some past cardio concerns can come to play on the Lamos side. And that's where she might be overwhelmed down the stretch. So, I honestly do think minus 200 might be a bit wide here. I kind of agreed more with the opener, you know, a lean on Marina, you know, give her that, you know, six out of 10 times ordeal. But when we're talking seven, eight out of 10 times, I'm not sure because Lamosh is very dangerous and, and she's unique. You know, there's not another fighter in this division like Lamosh. Um, but I, I got to give Marina a lot of credit. I mean, the level of competition she's been fighting, like to go out there with Yan Nan, who even if I score that fight for Yan Nan, like in that third round, like Marina really picked up the pace, really picked up that volume. And had there been two extra rounds to work with based on, you know, how that fight was trending and where the momentum was headed, it didn't seem like Marina Rodriguez was going to slow down at any point. So I definitely favor the later rounds to Marina. I'm just curious about what kind of damage can Lamos accrue early and what kind of top control can she get off on? Because historically speaking, uh, Marina hasn't been able to get up from bottom. And then with Lamos, the big uh, concerns with her has always been the submission defense, which might not be a, a big threat in this fight, but you never know. You never know. You know, I mean, like I said, there's no way Yuri's tapping out Glover and then he tapped out Glover, right? So you really never know. And then the other concern, obviously, is Lamos throws 100% into everything into all her shots so naturally that's going to tax you you know i'm not one to sit here and say that she's out of shape because she's 100 percent not out of shape it's just more so uh, uh, of a case when you're throwing 100 percent into every shot naturally you're going to slow down whereas you know kind of like when you watch that dustin jacob let's not even talk about you know who you score that fight for or this or that it, it was more so of a case of you know when you looked at the numbers dustin jacoby kind of doubled or tripled him up on strikes because um that volume you know output you know just kind of that touch 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 it kind of gets to your opponents and khalil just had the big power shots that's why at the end of the fight you saw dustin jacoby kind of marked up and khalil didn't have a scratch on his face but khalil was the more visibly tired fighter afterwards so there could be some similar dynamics in uh this specific fight so yeah uh it's truly a great main event um prada asked me should she be worried about the power of lamosh of course of course like i said you know, Jessica Aguilar was out here closing the eye of Marina Rodriguez. Marina Rodriguez gets off the slow starts, but once she finds her range, look the fuck out. But Lamos is someone you don't want to give her too much momentum. You don't want to give her an inch because she'll take a mile type ordeal. So I love this fight, man. I really think it's a great one. I lean with uh, Marina Rodriguez. You know, I know there's a lot of confidence out there on her, and 
I understand why she's been money and she really has truly been money. It's just that, you know, the price is got is getting a little bit steeper and we've seen cases where Rodriguez, uh, someone said Rodriguez won against the best on the ground. Yeah. But is that really true, man? I mean, like in the Esparza fight, which Esparza is the champ, we'll give her credit, of course. But the reason Marina lost that fight is because she couldn't get back up from bottom. The reason that the random Marcos and the Cynthia Calvillo fights were draws where Marina won every single striking exchange is because when she got taken down, she just can't get back up. And then she starts taking some damage. So I'm curious to see if Lamos can get some takedowns, get some top control in there. So, yeah, very, very excited about it. I lean with Marina because I think she is durable enough to overcome any kind of early adversity and she's more proven as the fights progress so for that reason i am going to pick marina rodriguez and marina rodriguez is someone i've loved to bet on i think i even better was it what like plus 140 against tisha torres so you know we've had some success betting her she's one of my favorite fighters in the division but i just don't i'm just not really counting out lamo she brings something unique she's dangerous and that has to be respected, especially in a weight class like strawweight. Like, how many strawweights do you see dropping people? Not too many. So, and with the obvious flaws of not being able to get back up from bottom, that's another concern of mine. So, yeah, I lean Marina to kind of pull away the third, fourth, fifth round, assuming there hasn't been a finish along the way. Um, but I, I don't have a bet on this fight, and I don't really have an interest in betting this fight. But I do have a lot of interest in watching this fight. All right, so we're going to talk about the co-main event. Y'all do me that favor, smash the like button, hit the subscribe button for me. Truly appreciate y'all. So co-main event of the evening in the welterweight division. We got Neil Magny. He's 26-9, and nine, taking on Daniel D-Rod Rodriguez, who's 17-2. and two. Currently, they got it. Neil Magny, minus 115. Daniel Rodriguez, minus 105. So it's a pick em with a slight lean. On Neil Magny. So I kind of already broke this fight down a couple fights ago because they a couple cards ago because they were scheduled to fight once. And you know, I bet on D Rod plus 105 the first time. This time I bet on him at plus 100. So I'm still, you know, maintaining my stance. And the breakdown I had a couple weeks ago is the exact same breakdown I have now. I guess the concerns uh, people have is you know, D-Rod had some kind of elbow injury ordeal type of thing going on. And I'm not sure how much stock to put in that. Let me tell you why. Because it's like one of the things that prevented me from betting on Benil Dariush against Gamrod was that a few months back, he like broke his ankle. He had to pull out the Islam Makachev fight. So he was dealing with a serious injury. And I just wasn't sure, you know, how's he going to come back from that. But at the end of the day, if you don't have that inside knowledge, if you're not, you know, if these guys aren't your friends and you don't really know what's going on, you know, you know what they say about, assuming you know it makes an ass out of you and me so i'm just not gonna sit here and assume what negative impact this injury on d-rod had and plus i'm getting dog money so i i just kind of gonna view them as the best versions of themselves and hope that that's how it plays out and look with neil magny longest reach in the history of the weight class uh knows how to use that reach as well and he's really good at luring these guys into this kind of clinch heavy fight where they're so kind of dumbfounded by by the length and trying to close the distance that when they do, they fight uncharacteristic. They try to wrestle against them. Like Jeff Neal, who's known for being one of the fastest guys in the division. I mean, you saw what he just did to Luke, man, and 
he fought uncharacteristic against Neil Magny. He's trying to wrestle him the whole time, gassing himself out. You saw the same thing with Robbie Lawler, one of the most prolific knockout artists in the history of the sport, trying to wrestle Neil Magny. You saw Li Liang, same thing. So it's kind of like, dude, like, well, like, what, what is it about Neil Magny that makes these guys fight uncharacteristic? Um, and then the Tony Martin fight. Tony Martin's known for his calf kick game. And it was a really nice audible that Neil Magny pulled where he actually went southpaw to prevent the calf kicks from happening. And then he also lured Tony Martin into that just clinch heavy fight where those guys gas out. And that's where Neil Magny can really break you down the stretch and up the volume and make it look nice on the judges' scorecards. The thing with D-Rod is he does have, you know, like let's say you thought he lost that fight against Li Jing Liang, okay, which is a completely different matchup. But one thing we can agree on is that D-Rod got better down the stretch in that fight. The second and third round, he started having more success. So I haven't really seen cardio to be an issue with D-Rod. I love the volume. He's landed over 100 significant strikes on more than one occasion. And for MMA standards, his boxing is pretty damn good. So I do think that he's able to land the – the, the crisper, more meaningful and impactful shots. Obviously, he's going to be at a reach disadvantage. And interestingly enough, he's actually the older guy here. But I don't put much stock into that because I think Neil Magny has a lot more mileage on him. So as long as D-Rod doesn't get lulled into that, just this, this bullshit clinch game that Neil Magny seems to make all these guys play, I think that D-Rod should be fine here. And I also have a suspicion that Neil Magby might slowly be going on the decline. You know, that Max Griffin fight was questionable. He definitely got dropped super hard in that first round. And I'm not convinced he won that fight either. And to take it a step further, the next fight against Shafkat, like I understand Shafkat's, you know, one of the emerging promising prospects in the division, but Neil Magny didn't even have a second of success in that fight. So I think the the mileage is starting to catch up to Neil. And even though D-Rod, technically speaking, is the older guy, I still think he's got momentum and I still think he's got more to, more to prove here. So give me D-Rod. I put two units on him at plus 100. And if you want a little more in-depth, I guess, um, go back a couple of cards. And I broke this fight down already once. So featured bout in the heavyweight division we got josh parisian he's 15 and 5 taking on chase sherman who is 16 and 10. currently they got it josh uh chase sherman minus 130 the comeback on josh parisian's plus 110 so it actually opened minus 145 for parisian and uh all the actions come in on chase sherman and you know shout out to my buddy uh sun tzu you know he's the guy who talked about how one of the most profitable betting angles is fading chase sherman and now you're getting doggos to do so and listen i'm not out here saying that josh parisian is going to be some title contender but you don't have to be a title contender to go out there and beat chase sherman you know what i mean and and yeah josh parisian is the guy that dante Mays was was humping in the fight you know face something let alone you know but I think that sometimes guys got to pay their dues. I think sometimes they got to start to feel comfortable in there. But more importantly than all the semantics, what I like is that, look, Chase Sherman, I mean, the guy's got heavy leg kicks. Offensively speaking, he's a good striker. The issues he's had is doesn't really move that head off the center line, is there to be hit. And to take it a step further, it seems to fade down the stretch in fights. And that's been a consistent theme. Whereas Josh Parisian, 
kind of slow or less athletic, but like super durable can take that ass whooping up front and you start to fade against a guy like him, that's where he can kind of, you know, put it on you a little bit. So I'm a lean with Josh Parisian here, you know, just, it's just been very profitable fading Chase Sherman long-term, but this is what you'd consider kind of a lower level heavyweight fight. So an early Chase Sherman knockout or an accumulation of leg kicks followed by a second or third round knockout would not surprise me. But if Josh Parisian can kind of just stay durable, kind of stay tough and let, you know, Chase Sherman get off on a lot of big strikes, kind of weighing on his gas tank a little bit. That's where I think Parisian can maybe take over late second round third round and, and get this done. So it's not a confident pick, but I'll, I'll go with Josh Parisian for the win. Now, in th this one, I have a bet on as well. In the flyweight division, we got Tagir Ulanbekov. He's 13-2, and two, and he's welcoming Nate Maness, who's 14-2, and two, to the flyweight division. And currently, they got it. Tagir Ulanbekov, minus 215. The comeback on Nate Maness is plus 185. So I bet on uh, Tagir Ulanbekov at minus 175. I've already done my job in terms of beating the line which i'm happy about and I, and I think the big talking point for a lot of people is you know nate maness dropping the flyweight he was already a very big bantamweight but honestly that's really not a talking point for me and i'll tell you why the guy strikes me as a professional he's working with the people at the pi looks in incredible shape so i don't really think i mean i could be wrong you might miss weight anyways but i, I don't really think he's going to come out here missing weight. I think the guy's definitely a professional. I think he's disciplined with his diet. You know, there are questions about how is he going to rehydrate and perform the next day? I think that's that's more of a valid concern. But honestly, none of that stuff is, is even the reason why I'm betting to gear here. The reason that I'm betting to gear on Bekov in the spot is because Nate Manis has a big issue getting up from bottom. You know, he's very content to play in his guard, which, you know, cool. I love jujitsu too. It's just that that kind of style is not going to work against Tagir Lombekov. And, you know, Tagir is a guy that's really grown on me. You know, firstly, I've always known about his toughness. Like in that Bruno Silva fight, man, I mean, he ate some intense calf kicks and just kept pushing forward. In that Alan Nascimento fight, Alan Nascimento is a serious scrambler, and the guy's got some ridiculous submissions. And, I mean, Tagir survived some very tough spots and was able to end up on top. And then the Tim Elliott fight, although on paper it's a loss, I thought that Tagir Lombekov, showed a lot in that fight you know he got dropped early in the fight and you know i thought he came back to win the second and third round and really dug deep and i thought he broke elliot towards the end of that fight judges didn't see it that way but just performance wise i thought that that was a big step in the right direction and now here you know tagirulam bekov he's been training in dubai with with habib Nurmagomedov, with islam Makhachev, with Bilal muhammad with abubakar Nurmagomedov, and you saw the kind of performances all those guys had in dubai and in, in abu dhabi excuse me a few weeks back and i just think that you know right now those guys got a lot of momentum they're coming in here with the right game plan not to mention tagir's teammate umar Nurmagomedov, uh just fought Nate Manis. So they know the blueprint here. So yeah, do I think uh, Tagir might test the stand up a little bit early? Sure, maybe that'll be dicey, but I don't really think the volume is quite there on the Nate Manis side. I think that he can be opportunistic. I think he's deceptively long. I think he's a tough guy for sure. Maybe a little sneaky power, but 
I think that as soon as Tagir is ready to get this to the map, I just don't foresee Nate Manis getting back up. And that's where I kind of think Tagir is going to pull away. So I kind of see Tagir winning this one rather dominantly. And I think he has the best performance of his UFC career. So for that reason, I played Tagir at minus 175 to win two units. So uh, my boy Marty said, rest in peace, take off. Atlanta, Pete said, rest in peace, take off. Hey, you know, man, uh, rest in peace, man. You know, a true ATL legend, just a true shame that things like this are still going on in the world, man. So, you know, just grateful for what this guy's done for my city, for what he's done to represent his culture and just everything, man. The music as well. And even the appearances on Narcos. I know, I know y'all know what I'm talking about. So yeah, he'll be missed, man. So rest in peace, take off. Now, next up, uh, in the lightweight division, we got a matchup between Mark Matson. He's 12 and 0, taking on Grant Dawson, who's 18 1 and 1. Currently, they got it. Grant Dawson minus 215. The comeback on Mark Matson is plus 185. So, I haven't moved in yet, but this is another one that I'm eyeing a potential bet on. So. I think that this might be a little controversial, um, but I like Mark Matson in this spot, and, and I could be way off, but. Kind of the way I see it is what I really like about Grant Dawson is just how relentless he is and how much he believes in his grappling. Like his stand-up is not the prettiest. Like offensively speaking, he's got some stuff, you know, some calf kicks, some good long-range weapons, some flying knees, this and that. But you can tell defensively speaking, he's very, very uncomfortable standing. Uh, but the thing I like about him is, man, when he takes guys' backs, he's just very, very controlling and very able to sink in chokes and then it, and not just his back control but his top control as well. Some very good ground and pound. He's just – once he gets on top of guys, they seem to have a really hard time getting him off and uh, getting him off. The, that's, that's like when Dana White said the uh, – um, you got to beat him off, right? <laughs> I didn't mean it like that, guys. But um, basically what I'm trying to say is that Grand Dawson will do certain things to get to where he has to – to get to where his ultimate goal is. And some of those things include like pulling guard, which is going to work against some of these you know lower-level guys he's been fighting. But I just think that if you try to pull guard to use that as a sweep against a guy like Mark Madsen, he's going to be able to neutralize you. And maintain that top control. And then on the feet, you know, both of them, you know, still got a lot of work to do on the feet. But I think that Mark Madsen's got a little bit more pop on his punches. And I think that he's progressed a little bit more. And then the big talking point is both of them have suspect gas tanks. And it's not because they're not out here running their miles. It's just because they both push such a heavy frenetic pace that as a result, you are going to slow down. But the thing about it is I think that Grant Dawson's gas tank in the later rounds is a lot more suspect. I mean, you all saw that Rick Glenn fight. First two rounds was a domination. And that third round, I mean, Grant Dawson's pulling guard. He's getting smashed. And Rick Glenn's attempting darts chokes. And, I mean, like, it was a 10-8 for Rick Glenn. Like, what should have been a clear decision win for Grant Dawson turns into a draw because he fatigued so damn badly, tried to coast or – was just so damn, you know, gassed that he just couldn't do anything anymore. And 
Giga, he got beat on that last round, even the last round against Jared Gordon. If you look at the record, yeah, he ended up taking the back. He ended up choking out Jared Gordon. So on paper, it can be like, well, what are you talking about criticizing it, you know, how he does in the third round? But if you actually watch that round, dude, he was looking ugly until he took the back of Jared Gordon in that third round, man. I mean, again, he's pulling guard. He's doing all these things that – I just don't think are going to fly against someone with the top control of Mark Madsen. Now, I'm not sitting here confidently picking Madsen, but what I am saying is like you give me like a plus 195, a plus 200, and this is one of those spots those spots where I'm willing to roll the dice where I think it can be one-to-one -one heading in that third round who's going to dig deeper, and those are spots I love to take the dog on. So while I respect both guys a lot, I think that Madsen might have something for uh, for Dawson here. And uh, my buddy here, Benny, brought up a good point about the Guida fight. But here's what you got to understand about Guida fights. With Guida, the way that people usually get Guida out of there is via submission. Mark Madsen's not a submission guy. And not, not to mention, Guida's a Hall of Famer. Guida's got wins over RDA, Nate Diaz, Anthony Pettis, so on, so forth. Only guy to choke out Leo Santos, right? And props to Grant Dawson for knocking out Leo Santos. But still, just saying the dynamic of that fight was different because they were standing and banging. We know that Clay Guida's got an infinite gas tank. It's just if you can submit Clay Guida, that's when guys get him out of there early. But Mark Madsen's not a submission guy. Grant Dawson is a submission guy. So I'd be very curious to see what happens if Grant Dawson can take the back of a guy like Mark Madsen. But, man, if – there's not these submission attempts coming from, from Grant Dawson. If he's not able to get this back control, I think that Mark Madsen might be able to bully him a little bit, sprawl on those takedowns, get on top, neutralize him. Don't, don't play his bullshit game. Don't let him get off on those guard pulls to sweeps and, you know, and land a harder shot standing. Grant Dawson still seems very uncomfortable on the receiving end um, striking wise. So, yeah, listen, he's a plus 195 dog, a plus 200 dog. I'm not sitting here super convicted, but at odds like that, I'm, I'm willing to, to roll the dice and take my chances. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Marco Madsen to get the upset here. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got a match between Derek Minner. He's 26 and 13, taking on Shailan Nerdonbekov. Um I think, I think that's his last name. He's 37 and 10, representing China. And currently they got it, Shailan, minus 205. The comeback on Derek Minner is plus 175. So Derek Minner is one of these guys that, man, he goes balls to the wall early. And, I mean, he can he can get guys out of there. I mean, you know, he finished Ter Terrence McKinney in the first round. In that first round he had against Grant Dawson, man, he had a deep-ass guillotine choke on Grant Dawson early on in that fight. It's just that, historically speaking, when you can extend Derek Minner due to the balls-to-the-wall style that he has, you know, he'll tend to fatigue and, you know, give up in fights. And the thing with this kid, Shailan, you know, it might not be the most aesthetically pleasing thing to watch, but dude's a bull, man. Dude's a very strong individual, very good top control and the dynamic here is you just have to, you know, get past these vet tactics, these opportunistic submission attempts of Derek Minner. And once you do that, that's where you neutralize him in the second and third round. And, you know, Derek Minner is always live for an early submission. But if you can't get it, I see Shailan just kind of neutralizing him in the second and third round. So my pick will be Shailan here. 
Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got a rematch between Miranda Maverick. She's 10 and 4, taking on Shanna Young, who's 8 and 4. This is another fight I've already talked about um, in the past. Uh, they were supposed to fight again. I mean, the first time they fought, uh, Miranda submitted her. You know, I guess there might be a little pressure with her being, you know, what are the odds? She's minus 610. The comeback on Shanna Young is plus 460. So. I mean, I don't really see any reason to parlay a minus 610 and minus 700. It's not going to add, you know, that much value to to your plays. But And who knows? Maybe Shanna Young's hungry for this rematch. But I just think that skill-wise, Miranda Maverick's starting to put it all together. She's got that country girl strength. She's able to kind of flow her her striking to her takedown. She's got a lot of intelligence. Um, but props to Shanna. You know, she got to win that last time. Her confidence should be increasing. But she's simply outmatched here. I think the odds reflect that. So give me uh, Miranda Maverick to get it done. Now, in this next one, I got a bet as well. We got Mario Bautista in the Bantamweight division. He's 10-2, and two, welcoming back Benito Lopez, who is 10-1. Currently, they got it. Mario Bautista minus 285. The comeback on Benito Lopez is plus 240. So I took uh, I took Mario Bautista straight at minus 225. So I already got the best of that line. I'm kind of concerned because it seems like a lot of people are on Mario Bautista. And I fucking hate when everyone's on the same side as me. I really do. That makes me uncomfortable. I like it when I'm on an island, like with Arnold Allen last week. And, yeah, we can say injury this, injury that. Arnold Allen was putting a clinic on that guy in the first round. And if you're concerned about someone gassing, you kind of got to do things to make him gas. Like Sodique with all that clinch work was making Arnold Allen gas. To me, it was looking like target practice for Arnold Allen against uh, Cater. And it looked like it was only going to get worse, injury or not. And I put two units on Arnold at plus 110. And if they were to ever run it back, I'd put a lot more on Arnold Allen. Because like even prior to the injury, like I was just smiling the whole fight. I was like, wow, that was absolutely beautiful. But the reason I brought that up was not to to impress you, but to impress upon you that I feel a lot more comfortable when people are on the opposite side as me and people are overconfident on the other side like they were with cater that's when i feel my most confident whereas here seems like a lot of people are on mario bautista and you know i'm not gonna lie that makes me a bit on edge that makes me like fuck like because you know these big vegas casinos weren't built with everyone being on the same side so i don't like the fact that everyone's on the same side as me but at least i did my job and got the best of the line so that's all i can hope for um, but anyways, the way I see this fight going down is kind of like this. I think that Benito Lopez is a dynamic striker. Like, look, he's coming off a three-year layoff. What he's done in that time, whether it was USADA, whether it's him selling real estate, whatever the case may be, I don't know. I don't need to speculate. All I can do is go based off the Benito Lopez that I used to know. And the guy I used to know is the flying kicks, the flying knees, Um just kind of an opportunistic offensive striker. I'm more of an offensive juggernaut, but doesn't really take it as well. I think that, oh, he's got good calf kicks too. Just a long, rangy striker with some flashy techniques, but he can give it, but but taking it wise is kind of where I have the issue, man. I mean, I think that I've seen him dropped on multiple occasions, even against guys like Vince Morales and Albert Morales. Um, the Steven Ocho Peterson fight was a little bit too close for my liking. The Manny Bermudez fight, Manny got him out of there easily. So I think that Benito kind of falls under the, you know, flashy front runner category. And look, 
Mario Bautista has been caught before against Trevin Jones, albeit with hands. And, you know, Benito's more known for the big kicks. So, listen, Benito's live to get a head kick knockout. He's live for a flying knee, maybe drop him and guillotine him or something like that. But if that doesn't happen, Mario Bautista is a very gritty guy, also has a good calf kick game, also can put up big numbers. I've seen him go out there, land over 120 significant strikes in a in a three-round fight. Um, can also mix in takedowns, has a good submission game, and, and just has been more active since the last time uh benito fought you know mario's out here he's been putting in work and he's training with some good guys training with the sean o'malley's was training with casey kenny for a while you know under coach john crouch he's got benson henderson with him so they got the right looks and i don't think that mario bautista is the kind of guy that's going to be arrogant and be like oh my opponent's been out three years now i can skip my runs and skip my practice i think he's i think you know when you talk about a mexican warrior like mario bautista He's going to take this seriously. So for Benito to win, like I said, it has to be a head kick. It has to be a flying knee. It has to be a club and sub. But if that doesn't happen, I really think that Mario Bautista just slowly, methodically chips away at him, breaks him down, and possibly gets a finish of his own, if not um, grinds away the decision. So, yeah, give me Mario Bautista to just be more active and kind of welcome this dude back and make him question, like, do I still really want to be here? Because I know for a fact Mario Bautista does. So I played Mario Bautista minus 225 to win two units. Now, next up in the strawweight division, we've got a matchup between Jin Yu Frey. She's 11-7, and seven, taking on Poliana Viana, who's 12-5. and five. Currently they got it. Poliana Viana minus 140. The comeback on Junior Frey is plus 120. Um, you know, it, it, it's one of these fights. Uh, my boy, Joe, uh, I appreciate it, buddy. You said there's examples of what you're talking about every week. See the Cody Durden fight. Exactly. You know, we picked Cody Durden over here, but everyone was so confident on Mota. And I think Mota's got a bright future. He'll be back, but it's just Cody Durden's time right now. But back to Frey, you know, I think Frey, like, technically speaking, her striking is a little bit more polished. And, you know, if they're going to put on the 16-ounce gloves and the shin guards and the headgear and have some sparring matches, I think that Jin Yu Frey would, would win those. Um, my boy asked me what I'm drinking over there. I got some Atalanta Tart Plum Saison. And then I also got some, some Yellowtail Shiraz which a little bit on the cheaper side, but I actually like how it tastes. Uh, so it's all good. Got some company on the way after this podcast. So, you know, doing a little pregame and make, making sure I'm ready to go. But back to this matchup, man. Um, yeah, I think Jin Frey is a little bit more polished standing, but I think that Pollyanna Vienna has a little bit more will to, to win. The striking might not look the prettiest. Uh, you know, she might wing these shots, but – Similar to that last fight with Frey and Demopoulos, despite who he scored it for, Demopoulos was out here just giving more effort. And um, I think that Pollyanna Vienna can do similar things should this fight stay standing. But where Pollyanna Vienna really excels is on the mat. She's got a very opportunistic, uh, you know, arm bar from guard game, which is effective in, you know, the lower weight classes of, of the women's division. So, yeah, whether it's an opportunistic submission, whether it's kind of just showing a tiny bit more effort, I'm going to go with Pollyanna Vienna, but, you know, I'm not going to lay chalk on it. 
Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got a matchup between Johnny Munoz Jr., he's 11 and 2, taking on Ludovic Sholinian. <laughs> Ludovic Sholinian, he's 9 and 2. Currently, they got it. Johnny Munoz minus 225. The comeback on Ludovic Sholinian is plus 190. So, when the fight first got announced, I was interested in Munoz. It's just. I'm not interested in Munoz at this price, right? Like, my issue with Ludovic is this. Like, he's a tough guy for sure. Like, that's not my issue. I like the fact that he's a tough guy. He's just very – he's the opposite of physically imposing, you know. He's just kind of a little bit scrawny. Just I feel like he can kind of just be bullied in there. I feel like he can kind of be pushed over. He's not going to quit, man. I mean, he's not going to just give up and – you know, fight like a hoe or anything like that. I think he's a tough guy. I mean, went three with Jack Shore, just didn't really offer anything. You know, there's not any punching power. There's not really a submission threat. He's just kind of a guy that's just going to kind of hang around based off toughness. But usually, when your best at when your best attribute is toughness, that means that you're really good at getting your ass whooped. And with Johnny Munoz, I know he's not a finished product. I know he's a work in progress. I know he's got a lot of things he's got to, you know, he's got to patch up. But, like, at least he's got one thing he's really damn good at, and that's that jujitsu black belt. And he's been able to land takedowns in the majority of his UFC fights, and he's very threatening, whether it's with his submission attempts or his uh, positional dominance. So... You know, on the feet, it can be kind of close just because the Ludovic guy is going to be there. He's going to be trying. He's just not very imposing or threatening. And Munoz, who knows how he's recovered off that knockout loss, but the guy he got knocked out by is a completely different level than, than Ludovic. So I kind of see just Johnny Munoz just being a little bit more physically imposing, being able to get those takedowns, keep some top control, and just be a step ahead. Maybe get a submission along the way, but if not, come out here, win the decision. Unfortunately, I didn't get the price I want, so I passed. Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got a very interesting matchup between two flyweights that desperately need a win. We got Jake Hadley, he's eight and one, taking on Carlos Candelario, who is eight and two. And currently, they got it. Jake Hadley minus two fifty-five. The comeback on Carlos Candelario is plus two fifteen. You know, Carlos Candelario, credit to his toughness. He got a contract on Contender Series after a fight he lost against Victor Altamirano, just because of the kind of heart the guy showed. I mean, he's a true warrior. Even though, even there against Tyra, man. I mean, went the three-round distance, and you see these other guys against Tyra. Tyra is submitting dudes left and right. So, I think Carlos Candelario is a guy that's going to stick around, and give Hadley a tough fight. Hadley is someone I'm not quite sure what I think about. Dana White called him special, and I, I hold Dana White's opinion regarding scouting fighters in high regard. Usually, he knows what he's talking about. I mean, like for example, you remember that kid Joshua Weems that got tapped out in the first round by Christian Rodriguez last week? Well, there was a kid that memes beat. Uh, Weems beat on, on the regional scene named Mo Miller and people were crying that Mo Miller didn't get a contract and I, I agreed with Dana on that one I agreed with Dana on that one there's a reason Mo Miller didn't get that contract because he wasn't quite ready so Dana calling Hadley special um, you know the jury's still out of course but I'm curious to see what Dana saw in this kid um, because that first fight he had 
against Alain Nascimento. Like we saw the fight Alain Nascimento had with Tagiru Lambekov. It was tooth and nails. We saw the fight Alain Nascimento had with Holly and Paiva. So I think Alain Nascimento might just simply be a step above, you know, and I think that he's a very underrated guy himself. Now, granted, were the red flags with the takedown defense? Of course. But in this fight specifically, I think that Jake Hadley might be the more physically imposing guy. And I think he will be able to kind of scrape by this one. But it's a fight I'm going to keep an eye on, uh, an eye out for because it's going to kind of let us know the trajectory of both fighters and like where exactly are they going to go. You know, I see Candelario is just this tough Latino warrior who doesn't quit. Whereas I see, um, what's the name of the British guy? My bad. I'm having a, oh, Jake Hadley. I see Jake Hadley is kind of more like a bull, more physically imposing. Um, so yeah, I look forward to it. I'm a lean Hadley, uh, just not interested laying a price like that on him. And last but not least, <laughs> in the Bantamweight division, we got Ramona Pasquale. She's six and four, taking out Tamiris Vidal, who is six and one. You know, this is one of those fights that's like, I hate talking like this and being like, do I really have to talk about a fight like this? You know, I know the fans don't appreciate that. They want me to to just break down every fight objectively, but I'd rather just be 100% honest and like just keep it 100 with y'all about this and about my feelings. But I guess this is a higher level fight than uh, a higher level fight than like Mike Jackson versus um dean barry so at least there's that I, I really don't know what to think i mean the new chick uh vidal she was the one that lost that that won that dq against aylin perez on the regional scene where they had like gym mats in the gym super low level and at least pasquale's got ufc experience and has landed takedowns in both her uh ufc fights so that's all the analysis i have i apologize i don't have much more to say about that so Based on the UFC experience and based on her having success getting takedowns in those UFC fights and her being the underdog, I'll go with Ramona Pasquale for the win. All right, everybody, do me a huge favor. Smash the like button. Hit the subscribe button. Um, and I'm going to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. If you all got any questions for me, give them to me now. I'll be happy to answer them for you before I get out of there. And, uh, yeah, so – the fight to watch. So I think that the fight to watch for UFC Vegas 64, I'm going to go with Mark Madsen versus Grant Dawson. Look, both these guys are undefeated in the UFC. Both these guys are grappling heavy fighters. We've got an Olympian in Mark Madsen. we got a black belt in, in Grant Dawson. And, you know, both these guys never lost a fight in the UFC. Oftentimes when you get two good grapplers, it turns into a bang fest. But I have a feeling with the ego and the pride that these guys have about their grappling that someone is going to want to show their dominance and show that, hey, I'm the superior grappler here. You know, I heard an interview with Grant Dawson saying, if I had a wrestling match with uh, Mark Madsen, I'd pin him. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, like those are fighting words, man. Like, you don't just say you're going to pin a Olympic silver medalist or gold medalist i don't remember but an olympic medalist right um so saying some stuff like that like i'm curious and you know um yeah that's my fight to watch and my fighter to watch let's go with uh 
Let's go with Tagir Olambekov, man. I think that he's a lot better than people give him credit for. I think he's got an opponent here where he can style on. And I want to see him show that, hey, like, I am one of the emerging Russian fighters in the flyweight division. And I can make a run one day. Still a young kid. And I think he's had moments in these fights. It's just sometimes people got to get comfortable getting inside the UFC's octagon. Plus, had that camp with with uh, Habib Nurmagomedov, with Islam Makhachev, with Bilal Muhammad, with, with Abubakar, and you saw how those guys performed. I want to see if Tagir can ride off the momentum and, and put in the best performance of his UFC career. So for that reason, Tagir Rulambeka is my fighter to watch. So I'm going to answer a couple questions, then I'm going to get out of here. Um, Low T City Ortega said, do you think Lemos is being counted out because of the Andrade people or, or uh, the Andrade fight, or are people high on Marina? Both. I mean... Marina is someone you need to be high on. And then Lemos, you know, faltered in her last main event. But, like, I don't think that Marina is going to get a standing arm triangle. I think it's more so that Lemos has maybe showed that she can kind of slow down in fights a bit. And Marina is really good at easing into fights and doing good down the stretch. So I think the power early of Lemos is going to be a big thing. Plus, I'm curious to see if she can mix in takedowns and exploit that weakness we've seen in Marina where she can't always get up from bottom. And then on the flip side, Marina, the volume just gets better as the rounds progress where Lamosh might slow down. So that's what makes it a great fight. All right, let me see if y'all got any more questions uh, for me. And if not, I'm going to get out of here. My boy Marcus Williams in the house. Shout out to my boy. Check out the Nubian Bookstore. Enjoying the show. Keep up the good work. Thank you very much, my friend. My boy Busta Benny said, hit that like button, guys and gals. Please do. Please do. I appreciate it. Um. Rest in peace, takeoff. Yes, rest in peace, takeoff. Um, let's see what else y'all got. My boy Joe said, smart motherfucker, I appreciate you. Your insights have helped me, and I mean that genuinely. Thanks a lot, Joe. I really appreciate the support. Just remember, at the end of the day, you know, I'm just a human like y'all, so you just have to trust your gut. I'm not always going to be right, so trust your gut. But if I can help you, maybe come up with an angle that you didn't see before, maybe present you with some information you didn't know about, this and that. Uh, I'm happy to do it. And plus, if I can just give you guys some entertainment, you know, hard times out there, get your mind off stuff, then I'm happy to do that too. So truly, sincerely appreciate all the support you guys give me. Thank you very much. So I'm going to wrap the show up. Last call for questions. Uh, make sure you all hit the subscribe button. Make sure you all hit the like button. After this is over, leave me a comment. I appreciate it. It helps with the algorithm thing they like to talk about. If you truly enjoyed the show, share it on Twitter. Tell people, you know, like, let's get the word out there. And uh, I'll be back next week for the next card. And, yeah, just going to keep the ball rolling, man. So I'm very excited about that. So thank you all again for all your support. I'm on Twitter at Best Fight Picks. You can subscribe to Half the Battle everywhere podcasts are found. My bet record is available on betmma.tip slash picks. So thank you guys again. And until the next time, let's cash these bets!